Believe it or not, we can learn a lot from the advent of Disney+. And speaking of advent, we're going to get into advent week number two right after this. Angels we have heard on high, sweetly singing o'er the plains. You might say I labored over the show. You might go far as to say I prepared for the show. And that pun is going to come in useful here in just one second. But for real, though, one quick word on me and the show and the and the work we do here. The easy thing to do in talk radio, the easy thing to do in the podcasting space, especially for you who, who came here from my early days, my early days I did almost exclusively politics, the easy thing is go to five news websites, pick five stories, and just go through the news and, you know, put a Christian veneer on them if you want to. That's the easy thing to do. But here's what I I do know I think maybe you guys expect of me and I expect of myself. Politics is boring most of the time. It's mostly meaningless. It's just another form of entertainment. It's like sports entertainment, but, but vaguely more important than sports. And so we're going to do much deeper and better things today. For example, I got a cool discussion into a fun discussion with someone about Disney Plus, and uh, it's it's coming about now to um uh, I guess compete with Amazon Prime Video and with uh, with Netflix and all the streaming services. In a, a specific show on there, it's in the Star Wars universe called Mandalorian. I have a lot of thoughts that I think are universal, whether you have Disney Plus or not, or you you like the Mandalorian. There's a lot of things that just apply to all of us. There's a terrible story out right now that shows for three years in a row, three years in a row, life expectancy in the United States has declined. There are some very sad reasons for that, and I think we probably should be talking about that with one another, our churches, our communities, and those around us. Plus, I have a listener email I want to get to. I heard a debate here recently I'd like to share some ideas from. Plus, we have a sports segment at the end, so there's a lot to do. We're going to try to get to all of it right after this. My name is Corey Truax. I'll be your host for the show. Again, that always works out because that's the name of the show. It's the Corey Truax Show. We're dedicated to smarter, deeper, better talk about everything here on the show. Thank you for listening on his radio talk, 91.9 and 92.9, or wherever you find the podcast. Thank you for doing so. And whenever you share the show with others, it is always highly appreciated. Let's start here. I'm at, the, at the top of the show, I said I labored over or I prepared a show for you. And that is, the, that is Advent Week 2's theme. The theme of Week 1 we talked about last week was hope. A hope for a promise to be fulfilled. The, the promises or the hopes of Christmas to be fulfilled the original hope for a Messiah to come, and now a hope that we live in for him, for him, Jesus, to come again. Well, number two, week two, it's it's prophecy in some Advent calendars, but it's really about preparation. So we have this hope that Jesus is coming again, the same way that there was a hope for him to come the first time, and people did things to prepare. And so, uh, you know, where with with hope, I said last week, hope is a fundamental need to the human condition. Not everyone listening to me has the same affinity that I do for preparation. I love prep work. I'm talking back when uh, I was a child, teen, teen years, one of my jobs was at a pizza place. And I, I just can't tell you how much pleasure I got from knowing the dinner rush was coming at six, 
6.30 maybe, I got in to my shift at 4.30 and everything we were going to need, every ingredient, everything that needed to be done in that kitchen was done by 5.45 or so or before so that when it started kicking up, everything was ready. Everything was prepared. Even now in what I do in the church world and my actual my day job where I actually make a living, I love the prep work. You know, when the actual event begins, when the actual when it's actually time to to do the thing I'm supposed to do, it's less fun than the prep work, including this. I love prepping for the show. The show's a blast. The prep work is even more fun. When I get to preach at Beachwood Church, the prep work is the blast. It's fun to dig in and read the scholars and all the dead guys and folks smarter than I am who've already taught about the same things. Getting the prep work is where I live. And week number two is about preparation. Now, this time of year, that has a very specific connotation. For Christmas, you know what the preparations look like, right? For Christmas, the preparation is your house. You put up a tree. You decorate. Maybe you put some lights outside, or you put up one of these new things that's either brilliant or obnoxious, depending on your your point of view. These new things where you have one light in the yard, and it shines a, like, uh, an LED thing to make your house look like it's been decorated, but it's really just one thing you put in your yard. It's preparation. It's the gifts that you go and buy and then wrap. It's the plans you make to travel or to have people travel to you. It's the preparation in the kitchen, making those meals and those desserts. There is obvious preparation because the day is coming. The event is coming. The Christmas Eve service, the Christmas Eve dinner, the Christmas morning presents, the Christmas lunch with the family. All those things are coming. There's a definite spot on the calendar and it requires preparation. And so this time of year has this theme of preparation. Now, for the original person that was looking forward to to the first Christmas, the advent of Jesus, when he would put on flesh and dwell among us, that was also preparation for them. And that often came from this group called the prophets. That's why on a lot of Advent calendars, week two says both prophets or it'll say preparation. And so the prophets would come on the scene and they would say, prepare the way of the Lord for his coming. Make make straight the paths that the Lord is going to walk. This Messiah is coming, and so prepare yourself. Prepare for the for the Jew at that time. That would have been things like keeping the feasts and the festivals, and keeping all of the uh, keeping the laws. Prepare your heart. Prepare your eyes to see when this kingdom comes. So prepare your life for the first coming of Jesus. So you're preparing for Christmas with all your work. We look back at the first Christmas and first Advent, and they were preparing themselves and their homes and their families. And so that leads to us. Right here in 2019 in the Western world, what is week two supposed to point us towards? It's supposed to point us towards that preparation for a second coming. The same thing with week one. There was once hope that Jesus would come, and he did. There's hope coming towards Christmas Day, and so we prepare, and now we believe He is coming again. I believe it's in Revelation 21 that that Jesus is quoted saying, and I'm quoting this off the top of my head, so if I get it wrong, forgive me. Behold, I come quickly. My reward is with me. That's a great promise. He comes quickly. Talking about preparation, and now my mind's just, the synapses are firing and some scriptures firing off. He says, and I think it's John 14, it might be Luke or Matthew 14, but I'm pretty sure it's a 14. He says, if you believe in God, believe also in me. I think it starts with do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. 
uh, uh, if you believe in God, believe also in me. I go to prepare a place for you. Speaking of preparation. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again so that where I am, there you may be also. And so here we now have this promise, this hope, but now we got to prepare for it. And so the same efforts you put into preparing for that Christmas lunch, Christmas dinner, the gifts, the decorations, your life should get that kind of effort in preparing for the king to come Again, I hope this actually happens to you. You're listening to me, and you're preparing something for Christmas as you wrap that gift, as you make that meal, as you purchase that gift, or you make the even if you're ordering it on Amazon, you recognize I'm making a preparation for a specific day, and in the same way, I should be preparing my heart, preparing my mind, preparing my life for the coming of Jesus. So what's that look like then? Some final thoughts here on our week two Advent reflection. What's it look like to prepare? Well, that might be some of the more obvious stuff, like the spiritual disciplines. So people talk about spiritual disciplines. That's real. These are good things that maybe we practice the discipline of prayer with more regularity. We practice the discipline of hospitality in our time we spend with others and the the discipline of generosity and what we give away, that we would practice the discipline maybe of fasting from things, even food, that we practice the discipline of our scripture reading because we want to be prepared for the coming of the Lord. There's even, in the New Testament, Paul writes about this crown, I think it's a crown of righteousness, for, for the, it's a crown for those who love his appearing. A crown in all of, of eternity that you get to have, and probably according to Revelation, cast at Jesus' feet. You get this crown for loving his appearing, for actually focusing on and thinking. It could be today. It could be this moment. It could be this day that is coming again to establish the kingdom of God for all of time and, and for all eternity. It might be practicing the disciplines. That's how you prepare for the second advent, the second coming. Guys, it could be someone you need to forgive. There sh- it could be reconciling with somebody that needs to be you need to reconcile with. It could be a bitterness you need to let go. It could be an idol you need to repent of. It could be our the idol of comfort, how we often waste our time. I'm not the Holy Spirit, guys. I can't tell you what you need to do to prepare for the way of the Lord, but that's the call to you today. Week two of Advent, theme, preparation. As you're preparing for Christmas and that day and the events around it, don't forget to prepare your life for a much better Advent. We're now looking back in all of your preparation. Your preparation of celebration is the celebration to look back on his first coming. Don't forget to prepare your life then for the second coming of Jesus. That's week two of Advent, the theme, preparation. Next week, it's joy, or some people say it's peace. Joy and peace are uh, depending on your Advent calendar. And so next week, we'll talk about joy, and we'll talk about peace in the, the meaning of that in the Advent season. We'll go ahead and take our first break. When we come back, I do want to tell you about a very interesting conversation I had about Disney Plus, this new streaming service, and a specific show that you you don't even need to have seen the show. There's still just lots of interesting things for us all regarding the conversation. So come back for that and a whole lot more on this edition of the Corey Truax Show. Merry 
Merry Christmas to you and happy Advent season from the Corey Truax Show and from his radio talk 91.9 and 92.9. If you would be so kind, connect to me, Corey Truax, on uh, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Look for me, Corey Truax. You'll find me there. Really do put out content quite a bit on all of those social media sites, and so I would be grateful. And I don't think you would regret if you follow along there. Got into an interesting discussion here recently with some folks regarding Disney+. Plus. If you somehow have not heard, Disney has created its own streaming service, so you can get it on, uh, if you have a Roku, there's an app on Roku. If you have an Xbox or a PlayStation, there's an app on those. Uh, You can just stream it on your actual computer or your iPad or phone or whatever, just like all the others, Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu, all those. Now, Disney has its own, which just makes good sense because Disney owns, it's got to be more than half of all the entertainment properties there are in television and movies, and so they're going to do it themselves and stream it themselves. I have it at my own home, and uh, it's been... I, I have some general thoughts about Disney Plus at the end of this, but uh, its it's been great uh, to have all of the classics, because, I mean, I, Disney has a ton of classic stories that I think are it's important for even our kids to see. I think it's good to have uh, a, a cultural milieu, or at least a cultural fabric that includes a lot of the same strings, a lot of the same threads. It's good for families to be able to refer to the same movies together or the same stories of a Snow White or a Cinderella or a Fox and the Hound. Like That's a good, healthy thing uh, that generations don't have all separate entertainment indices that we're able to all say, hey, you remember that thing? Like in a minute, I'm going to give you a, you know, I'll do it now because uh, it's, it's coming in the stream of consciousness. I'm not old enough for it, but I have heard the stories of the show called Dallas back in the day. I don't know what day it was. I don't know if that's the 70s or 80s. I have no idea when Dallas was on TV. But one of the big TV legends is that some character in Dallas named JR, I think, gets shot in a season finale. And it's like the last scene or something someone says, you know, who shot JR? And all of America, Dallas, with this very popular show, has to spend an entire offseason trying to decipher who killed JR and it becomes a conversation throughout the entire culture like all the substance of the culture that watch Dallas it's a thing you'll talk about at at work and at church and your social groups and with friends who do you think shot JR and so you have this and I even I as a person who didn't really experience I know about it and we have those shows and Disney has been a contributor to the culture in that way that they've provided these things that are universal experiences young old and throughout generations we've all experienced uh, especially when you get to a snow white a sleeping beauty a cinderella together but i would even argue a, a lion king and even an aladdin start to reach across a generational line so that's all very good that the point about disney plus with part of what they're they're doing i I, I, I thought two very positive things about it. One was the one I just mentioned. They are allowing, again, cultural unity around some artistic expressions so that we at least have some movies and shows in common across generations. But second, I, I, don't, I love this about Disney+. Plus. There's a show I'm watching on it. I think it's excellent. If you get Disney+, Plus, I highly recommend watching The Mandalorian. It's, it's part of the Star Wars universe. And they're doing this very unique thing. I don't know if you've heard of it. They're putting out one episode a week. That's just the way TV used to work. Remember that? You get to the the Netflix time, and we, they have a show like Stranger Things or House of Cards. 
And they'll put out 10, 11, 12, 13 episodes at the same time. And you are intended to watch all of them within a couple days. And I, I think it's it's un, it's unhealthy to, to binge. I'm not a big fan of binge watching. I, I think I would argue I've never binge watched anything. Um, but, so Disney Plus does this thing where we're putting out an episode once a week. Which is all, basically how TV worked until like five years ago. But here's what it's done I have found for us Mandalorian fans is they've recreated a cultural cohesion around that conversation. So uh, I'll give you another example of this. One of the most popular TV shows in the history of the United States was Lost. I loved Lost. Thought It was from uh, ABC, I think. Yeah, it was an ABC show. Just brilliant storytelling. It's a little complicated in the final season. A lot of disagreement, but it's a great show. I would highly recommend it. One of the great things about Lost, one of the great fun fun things we had as fans, is an episode would go off the air at 10 o'clock on a Sunday night. We'd all get to go to work on Monday and obsess over it. We get to talk about it. Talk about it at lunch all week long. On Friday, I recall saying things to other Lost fans like, can't wait to see you Monday. Go talk about what happens this week. It's going to be great. Have you seen the new preview for the new, next Lost episode? And so there was a... This, in this culture we have that's so bifurcated and so divided, I'm not talking about politically, but just literally in every way, we don't have things that bind us. TV shows and art, and TV shows are the new art, that is one of the things that bind us together, and so it's helpful. And I am finding that with the Mandalorian people. We love that there's six days in between each episode, so we can just think about that one episode. This is another part of American culture that is so toxic, is that we just move so quickly from thing to thing. We throw away stuff so fast. We get over things so quickly that we even do it with TV shows, movies. I've seen this with my own two nephews as I take them to all those Marvel movies. I don't know if it's just the nature of Marvel movies, but I'm talking, guys, 10 minutes after the movie's over, I can ask them what they remember from the movie, and they do not remember it don't remember main plot lines. They barely remember some of the names of the non-superhero characters. In Marvel, actually, he's telling some decent stories there, but we've been so conditioned to just experience a thing, use a thing, it's done, it's over, moving on to something else, that we've lost these deep values of what art can be and movies can be. And so I've loved this part of The Mandalorian. It might even fix TV. Think of that. Think if Netflix decides and some of the other competitors realize people like it this way. People like the situation where they get to talk about it and, and ruminate over one episode that they don't immediately need, and immediately need the next episode. I think it's why I enjoyed Breaking Bad so much. and I used to enjoy shows like 24 because I could only get one episode at a time. And you get to think and th- think through those things and the implications and think about the characters and development. Okay, so I love Disney+. Plus. I love this streaming service, and I think it's doing two good things for the culture. That's one. Two, this show Mandalorian. You don't need to have seen it uh, to get this conversation, and there's no spoilers here. Maybe the most popular show on Disney Plus is called The Mandalorian. It is a original show that is based in the Star Wars universe. Star Wars is this you know, obviously massive American theme and trope. The the uh, the timing of the show is right after the Empire, so you go through all the Star Wars movies, you get to. Uh, Luke is at the end of Empire, not Empire Strikes Back, that's Return of the Jedi. In Return of the Jedi, Darth Vader's killed, mask comes off, Empire falls. This Mandalorian show is right 
just a few years after that, and after the fall of the empire. And so you have a world where there was this very strong central government, but you have a much weaker government now, and there's a lot of, you can even call it chaos. And they've done this very interesting thing, despite there being lasers and blasters and spaceships and planets, the show feels like a Western. It feels like a John Wayne Western. So much so, episode four, they basically copied one of the storylines in The Magnificent Seven, one of the great Westerns of all time. Episode four of the show is you get these very classic Western themes. That is, you got your your gunslinger out on his own. That's the main character of the show, The Mandalorian. Gunslinger out on his own, and he's trying to find a backwoods town to hide in for a while. It's literally what he, he says, or a quote like that. He's just trying to find a place to hide in a backwoods place. So he finds a planet that is like a backwoods village, town. When he gets there, he finds that there's some outlaws that are threatening the village, and they want him to help. That's like Magnificent Seven. It's just a Western. And then even in the, the village, they find one of the most classic Western themes there is. The noble widow. This good woman in, the, in this town, in this Western frontier of the American West as it pushes into, into Texas and Oklahoma, out Nebraska, into the Dakotas, the West. This woman who's been widowed, often by whatever gang of outlaws, has been victimizing their town. And she's a big part of the, that episode. There is so much Western in this show that it feels like a, a John Wayne situation that we all need more of in America. It just has spaceships and lasers, and that's awesome. It, we, our main character here in the show, The Mandalorian, he is a, a, a gun-slinging sort of outlaw who catches other outlaws. He's, and he's trying to... Li- I love this part of the, other West- the Western, too. The great thing about the American West at the time, or not a great thing, but one of the big things about the Western, the Western Front as America, the United States pushed West, is there wasn't a strong law enforcement. There weren't governments out there. And so uh, when you talk about the Wild West, that's what pe- people were actually uh, criticizing it. It was the Wild West out there. There wasn't much law enforcement. There wasn't a way to enforce any kind of rule of law. And one of the great themes in Westerns is you have this noble, gunslinger, hard guy, hard man out on the frontier living by his own moral code, that was often a biblical moral code, but a moral code, he holds up these high standards in a world that doesn't have any, in a world of chaos, in a world of lawlessness. He's holding up his own standards and his own adherence to the law. And that's who we have in this show. We have someone who's who's set up standards and he won't violate them out here in this lawless land. And whether they meant to or not, meant to or not, the Mandalorian employed these Western tropes and themes, and here's what they've done. They've celebrated a fundamental part of the human spirit and the American spirit. This is part of the American spirit that I identify with so deeply. Part of, consider what America is. We are frontiersmen. We are adventurers. Consider the people that get on boats, come here, sight unseen. Oh, that's an adventurer. That's someone willing to bet on themselves and try for a better life with no, with no real reason to believe it's going to work out, but they're going to take the bet. Oh, that's us. 
the American spirit outside these 13 colonies where there's just some chunk of us that say, hey, why don't we start our own thing? Let's go out west. Let's go see where this land ends. No roads, no paths, no railroads, not really having having any idea who already lives out there, what they're going to run into mountains out there, what they're going to see. They don't know the Mississippi River exists and they need to cross it. They don't know the Rockies exist and they're going to need to cross it. They don't know the deserts of Texas and Arizona exist and they're going to need to cross those, but they go. Oh, I love that part of the American spirit. The adventurous nature of going to a place without laws, a place without governments and setting up setting up their own systems. When I was growing up, I remember a movie that had a lot of impact on me. Was I think it was called Far From Home. Uh, it was Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. I think it's the movie that they met on set and then became a couple. But it's either an Irish or Scottish immigrant. That's who Thomas, Tom Cruise is playing. And I think it's Nebraska that it's just, get on your horse and ride. And whoever gets to this part of the, the frontier first, you put a Put your stake in your ground. You get your own land. I mean, that's who we are. I want my own land. You're coming out of Western Europe where you've been serfs forever, and there's the royalty. And what do you want in life? I want my. I want my own. I want my own plot of land. I want to be king over my own castle. And that's what America is. And that's what the American Western was. The American Western gives us that spirit of it, of being noble. Go out and have an adventure. Go create your own world. Go create your own circumstances and your, and your own fortune. Go do it yourself. Go work hard. Take a risk. Oh, you're going to run into some trouble. You're going to run into those that don't live by and don't value the same, the same moral code, but go live by your own moral code and have high standards. That's the American spirit. That's the human spirit. It's also the human spirit, because I think this gets missed in our modern American politics and cultural thinking. Consider the state of nature. The state of nature for man is chaotic. If you leave the world to itself, there will be entropy, there will be chaos, the things will fall apart. If you leave your house long enough, it will just fall apart. That's the nature of of entropy. Man is not born does not into a world, does not find a world that's naturally ordered. It must be ordered. It actually starts disordered, we believe, because in the Christian worldview, because of sin. And so mankind and womankind must bring order to it. And so the idea of pushing to, uh, pushing to the West and bringing order to that which is disordered, this is a biblical theme of subduing the earth, but it's also this deeply American theme of going to do that. Yes, let's keep finding a new frontier. This is all. This is why we all love Star Trek. We, we ran out of. We ran out of Earth. We've conquered it all. We've we've seen it all. I mean, we we haven't dived the depths of the oceans yet, but we've we've mapped the planet. Where else can we push? Where else can we go? Where else can we subdue? Where else can we push? And then NASA comes along and says, "Wait, how about outer space?" And then we have an entire cottage industry of fiction around the same idea to boldly go where where. Uh, Star Trek says where? Where no man has gone before. Because that's our nature. We want to go do the new and adventurous things. But we know when we get there, it's probably going to be chaos. Because that's the natural order of things. I might connect that here a little bit later to another to another discussion. But uh, I think this is a mistake people make in, in a lot of economic discussions is they think 
that the world's natural state is order. That the world's natural state is is wealth and it's it's plenty, it's copiousness. But the actual state of nature is poverty. The state of nature is chaos. And so the systems that bring about the opposite of chaos and bring up the opposite of poverty, they are fighting nature itself. And so those are the systems that we should applaud. You know, I'm going to go ahead and do it. That's actually what I'm, I'm t- I said I was going to talk about later, this debate between uh, capitalism and socialism again. Uh, let me recommend something to you. Intelligent squared IQ debates. Intelligent squared IQ debates. I listen to all these. They are so much fun, guys. Uh, an organization from NPR, National Public Radio, they put together scholars, brilliant people, to have very formal Oxford-style debates. Not the garbage you see on uh, cable television and the eight or nine minutes of yelling they do at each other when everyone gets stupid. A good hour, usually more than an hour, of formal debate over a given topic. And they recently had some capitalists that believe in capitalism, uh, and, and some folks who are anti-capitalists, socialists, and the resolution was capitalism is a blessing. And so two people were arguing in a very intelligent way that capitalism is a blessing, and two people were arguing against that and did a great job, by the way. I mean, what an interesting discussion. You can go find that. Just Google Intelligent Squared IQ Debates. You'll find it. I actually think I also put that out on my Instagram or Facebook. You can probably find it on my page, too. And one of the points that the capitalists made towards the socialist is that they you, you recognize that the natural state of man is to be poor. The natural state of man is to have nothing. And capitalism was the system that brought about us having something and having a lot and having wealth and abundance. And so it seems like there's a socialist idea of, well, if you guys wouldn't be so capitalist, we'd all have so much. Well, we only have... So we don't we only have much at all because capitalism brought about stuff. Without capitalism, we don't have things. Like up until 200 years ago when we got capitalism, mankind at large lived in poverty. Like mankind was poor. It worried about what it was going to eat for its next meal. Like that that's what you died of. We lived in a world where you died of poverty. You you died of want. Guys, I eat better every day than King Henry VIII. Take me back to 1776 and King George III in Britain. I live a better life than he does. And I'm a nothing nobody who lives in the suburbs in South Carolina. I eat better. I have a, I have a much easier life. Everything about my life is better than King George III's. And your life too, by the way. You live in so much luxury. The kings and queens of 200 years ago would be blown away by how awesome your life is. And that only happened because of capitalism. Because the natural order, when we didn't have it, the natural order was poverty. The actual natural order was want. The natural order is disorder. Because, again, we believe in original sin. Okay, so I traced that rabbit. But the point here is, Disney Plus is awesome because it's going to give us cultural cohesion and cultural fabric. We're all pulling on the same threads, I think. That's good. Number two Maybe we can stop moving on so quickly and, and just forgetting what we just saw because we're going to have uh, this, the idea of stuff coming out one time a week again so we can ruminate on things. And I highly recommend The Mandalorian because it, it is the Western of yesteryear, but it's a Western in space. 
and there's some good morals and thoughts and philosophies that come out of the world of the Western. So I highly recommend it. When we come back, uh, well, let me see, what are we going to do? This life expectancy story is probably a good one. And then I got an email from a listener I want to try to get to before Heath and I get into sports. So we'll do that when you come back for the rest of the Corey Truax Show. Are we going to make it the entire show with zero politics? You bet we are, because I have enough content to fill this thing up without having to talk about a single politician or anything happening in Washington, D.C., and that makes me happy. Hey, that piano music just reminded me, I have out on my social media feed right now the uh, my, my version of Oh Holy Night. I started learning piano, as I've mentioned, at the end of May, so it's been about five months, six months, and I'm not good yet, but I'm getting better. Uh, one of your fellow listeners, she's also a very good friend of mine, Glenn, sh- uh, shared that on Facebook with some kind words. So you can be like Glenn, even if you want, go share it with others, because uh, it's a good, it's a good Christmas hymn, very good Christmas song. It's my favorite Christmas song. I think it's an arguably the best Christmas song, and so uh, that version's out there on all my social media as well. All right, uh, so let's get to this. I wanted to get to an email from Wayne, and then I want to talk about this life expectancy story. So here we go from one of your fellow. Uh, l- l- fellow listeners, he writes, he, he opens with, Bah humbug, Corey. I love that. Because uh, his title is, Amen on Your Thoughts on Christmas. Um, and so he, he also agrees with me that it's his least favorite holiday. I don't know if it's my least favorite, but I definitely don't like it a ton. Uh, and then I wanted to get to, uh, I'll, sh- I'll just read the email. Um, so he says, Growing up, I never heard the word Advent. Don't know when that started in the non-liturgical churches. Uh, so, yeah, I, I didn't grow up with it either. I talked about this with my dad here recently, that that was not a thing growing up. But it is uh, in the Presbyterian, Episcopalian, and some of the more traditional denominations that l- practice the old church calendar. Um, that's It's definitely been a huge part of the Christian faith for, for a long time. Uh, he says somewhere in this email, I'm having trouble finding it, that Easter is his favorite holiday. And that's something I agree with. When I love Easter. Uh, and, and Resurrection Day. Th- that is the crowning achievement in all of human history is Jesus coming out of the grave. His incarnation is incredible. His defeat of sin and death, that is the bigger one. Um, and then, oh, here it is. Easter is my favorite time of the year, and I think that's how, it's, how it should be. Uh, and then final final paragraph. He totally agrees with me from last week that Barack Obama is the worst president of my lifetime. And then he says, in his lifetime, Lyndon Johnson was the worst. The laws passed during that administration have contributed more to the long-term detriment of the country than any other president. So, by the way, totally agree. Uh, I, I think Lyndon Johnson, because of the great society, he, he is primarily responsible for our debt. Uh, Social Security was originally something that would be funded properly, and it's been poorly managed. But in theory, that could have worked out. Social Security was something that could have worked out. So old age security. Maybe with life expectancies going up so much up until now, we still would have run into some problems. But Lyndon Johnson created every other alphabet soup of agency and aid program. And he he is primarily responsible for how much debt we're in. I think he's the worst president in maybe the last hundred years. All right. Got to get to the story before we go on to sports. It's quite sad. I chose the headline from CNBC. Headline is this, U.S. life expectancy has been declining. Here's why. So th- they give some of their, their uh, 
reasons. I'm going to give you some of mine, but what we know is it's three years in a row now. A baby born in 2017 is expected to live 78 and a half years. That's down from 78.7. So 78.6 versus 78.7. The big Here's the big paragraph. The last three years represent the longest consecutive decline in American lifespan since 1915, 16, 17, and 18. Anyone else remember what happened during those years? Anyone remember? That was World War I and the Spanish flu. So that's definitely outliers, right? The life expectancy in America, the United States, has been going up. It's been going up and to the right. That's what the, the chart would look like. Except for this weird period where we went to World War and had the Spanish flu, and then now. Guys, that's insane. We have a life expectancy decline now as compared to during World War II? I mean, guys, this is, this is troubling. And it's not just me, uh, but here's what the, sh- the story here, and I'm going to add some commentary. So what, what could that possibly be? What are the factors, because I'm sure it's not just one, the factors leading us to a reality that we're declining in how much and how long we're living? Well, here you go. Number one, drug overdoses. Yeah, CDC found since July of 2016 that opioid overdoses are up 30%. Now, we're, we're working on that opioid epidemic, but one of the ways that we're our life expectancy is dying is that people in their 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s are dying from overdosing on drugs. This one killed me. Number two reason why our life expectancy is, dro- is dropping. We have a a fairly significant increase in liver disease. Over a 10-year period, the, the death rate for chronic liver disease among men 25 to 34, those are guys my age, their death rate from liver disease is up 8%. And guys, the same age group for women, their death rate is, over, uh, is up over 11%. Liver disease is now killing us. There are two primary reasons, according to the studies. It is an alcohol consumption problem. We we are apparently drinking more than we, we used to. And it's obesity. It's what obesity does to your liver. And then finally, so it's it's the drug overdoses. It's drinking too much. It's eating too much. And then finally, since 1999... The suicide rate has increased 33%. It's down all over the world in places like Russia, Japan, South Korea. The suicide rate is down in those places. It's up here. So life expectancy is now falling. And primarily because we are killing ourselves with drugs, killing ourselves with alcohol, killing ourselves with overconsumption, and literally just killing ourselves. This is where the Christian worldview portion of this show needs to get nice and loud. These deaths that are causing our decline in life expectancy are deaths of desperation. I've talked about on the show many times, maybe our biggest deficit, our biggest crisis in the country is a crisis of meaning. As we've done away 
uh, with faith, as faith has declined, like the, the idea of well, why do I exist? Why am I here? As faith has declined, and then our our value on family has declined, or our value on on localities and friendships and companionship, as all those have declined, wh- where we derive meaning, why are we even still here? What what am I here to do? All of those things are declining, and then we medicate ourselves. For the man who doesn't know, why am I even here? What am I supposed to be doing? What fulfillment do I have in raising a family and, and being, a, being a contributor to my country and my neighborhood and to my, and to my society? If I don't believe that I have any value in that contribution, yeah, I'm probably just going to go on some drugs because that feels good. That will numb the meaninglessness that I feel. There's depression, there's anxiety that leads to, and the depression and anxiety that comes from the meaninglessness that leads us to then say, okay, well, I'm just going to drink. That numbs that feeling. That numbs that pain. When it's not drinking, it's, oh, well, I am unhappy. This is the way that I feel. And you know what feels really good? All of this food. I'll just medicate with this overconsumption. And then finally, you get to that spot of absolute desperation. There is no meaning. I've medicated it. I have drugged my feelings, I've drank my feelings, I've eaten my feelings, and then they just kill themselves. We have an answer for this, Christians. We have an answer to these deaths of despair. Our life expectancy is falling in this country because people have this crisis of meaning. They are in despair looking for something. Because what this world has offered them in either prestige or in wealth or in relationship, it has not satisfied them because we've had so much. We've had so much abundance, and nevertheless, people are killing themselves directly and indirectly. This is going to be a hard transition, but guys, that that means we've got work to do in the gospel to go share with a very hurting world, and we've got to go ahead and move on to sports because we are all out of time. For football fans out there, we are in the heat of it. The NFL season is coming to a close, and the college season just came to a close. We're going to talk about that, the college season at least, with our sports correspondent. He is my good friend, and he's a sports correspondent of the show. His name is Heath Powell. Hi there, sir. Hello. Let's talk rivalry week really quickly. We'll get into the college football playoff thing for a minute. Uh, I just asked you off air. George Georgia Tech had another fight. This has to stop, right? Yeah, it's insane. I mean, you know, of course – any playoff implications or bowl games, you're suspended for the first half. I think you should just be suspended the whole game. That would shut it out. I agree. I mean, that would stop most of it. Now, granted, a lot of these are very bitter rivals. They hear about it all year. They grow up in the rivalry. Sure. They pick a side when they're three because their parents make them. You know what right. I mean? <laughs> uh, so I do understand that. But, yeah, there's no place for it. There's just not. I, I love I love football to an extent that it might be unhealthy. And it makes yep. me – it makes me dislike the game, right. so it does. It's, it's got to stop. Yeah, it's just unnecessary. Yeah, I, don't ruin this game for me. Don't like the Clemson South Carolina brawl. Oh, back was, in what was it? Oh three, oh four. Yeah, I know I was in high school, so yeah. Yeah, Something I mean, like that. you know, it was unnecessary. Did someone try to hit someone with a helmet there too? Oh yeah, they were helmets swinging. They were kicking each other on the ground. It was it was all out. Lou Holtz almost called an elbow. That yeah. was his last game, by the way. I don't remember that. So if you remember this, I was a little bit more of a. Uh, preppy jerk then and I thought college football was very stupid <laughs> do you remember that guy I remember that guy I because that guy. we had conversations and I, all I remember is asking you what is wrong with you <laughs> that's all I remember about. I do remember the conversations and don't remember the content except 
what is wrong with you? Like, I wasn't even neutral in college football and pro. No, you were basically like anti-college yeah, football. Yeah, college football is stupid. Yeah. Only go pro. But right. you made me watch. And college football is fun. It's so it, fun. It's fun. It's football, man. We love football. It's entertaining. It's pageantry. It's history. It it's is. rivalry. It's, it's all the good stuff. Uh, so the next thing on rivalry week was I don't like uh, how Nick Saban loses. I don't like his attitude when he loses games. You mean when he pitched a fit on the sideline? Mm-hmm. It's, it's your coach's fault there were 12 guys on the field. Yes. Like, that's not Auburn's problem. <laughs> it's not just that game. When they lose, he does. He is someone who does not lose with grace. No, he he may be the worst loser I've ever seen. Totally agree. And I don't think you should ever get comfortable with losing, but you can lose with grace and, and lose with pride. You know, all that stuff. Yeah. Be a congratulatory loser. Yes. Like, hey, we do obviously don't want to lose, but we lost. They beat us. They mm-hmm. were better than us this game. Congratulations to them. There are things we can work on. He, he, but he have, pitched a fit on the sidelines, and jumping it, up and down. It was awesome. And then complaining even after the game about refs. Oh, sure. Like, that's the the stuff that fans do. You're this is this is Saban coach. going into his lobby lobbyist yeah. DC mode, like he did when they didn't. And oh, they yeah. ended up winning the national championship, but they didn't go to the SEC championship. Yep. But the previous year, he was like, if you don't win your conference championship you shouldn't go yeah. and then all of a sudden the switch flip and he was lobbying all his friends blah, he's blah, a blah. flip-flopper he's a flip-flopper what he is the other reason i wanted to bring up that game is i did listen back to our college football preview episode but it was like eight minutes yeah and you sir like 15 16 weeks ago said yeah Auburn's gonna beat alabama this year you said oh, that yeah I, I just alabama you know always has the the media's praise no sure. matter what the situation is and I, you know hopefully people don't buy into everything the media feeds them that not just speaking of sports here, but you know, of course. in general, uh, do a little research on your own and just see what it is. This Auburn team defensively did not look as good as I thought they were going to, but that Alabama defense, it, it looks unfixable right now. Is porous a good word, or yeah. is that not a good enough word? That's really good. I mean, w- 48, 45? Four, th- that I even put on Facebook, I hope you're watching this Big 12 game. <laughs> Auburn and Alabama going at it. <laughs> That looks like a Baylor Oklahoma score. LSU plays no defense. No, they do not. Alabama plays. Auburn plays. Georgia has a pretty good defense, but Georgia's problem is they can't score. If, if it's um, the opposite end of the spectrum for Georgia, that game is. I still think. I'm assuming LSU is going to win that game. Yeah, because Georgia can't outscore LSU. They can't. They don't, that can't put up enough points. Even if Georgia's defense can slow down LSU some, that means slowing them down from 42 to 21. Yeah, I mean if LSU scores 21, 24, 27, someone like Georgia can't score. No, they just no, can't. No matter how bad LSU's defense right. is, they just don't have the right. They don't I, have the, the power to do it. They have the personnel. They have terrible. I think it's coaching. Almost positive for Georgia. Well, if you've got Swift back there, you should be run first. Mm-hmm. And of course, not abandon the the passing game altogether. Yep. But use your strong run game to set up your not strong pass passing game. game, and you know it, it'll work out. The, That's why I like Clemson so much. They're very balanced. They sure run pass, are. Yeah. Now, when you get into those drive charts and you keep seeing 10, 11-yard uh, drives for Clemson where it's six of this, five of that, yep. seven of this, four of that, they are really, really balanced. Well, you've got 300 yards passing and 200 yards rushing, you know, as an average, Gosh. give or take a few. That's that's just balanced football. It's that's, incredible. That's how you win 30 uh, games in a row. So then one of the rivalry week um, perspective, and then we'll talk about playoff implications. Uh, so Clemson beat South Carolina, I think, for the sixth time in a row. First time in the series history somebody's won six in a row. I have not. I did not know that. Yep. Look at you coming with the facts today <laughs> with, the, with the hot takes. Uh, so they're six times in a row, and the, uh, the offense could muster just nothing. But no one's really mustered anything against Clemson this year. No, it, I mean, let's be honest. South Carolina's offense and defense are really struggling this year, but it's more – about how Venables schemes against the opposing oh, yeah. team. Right. Um, I think Feaster was their leading rusher. I think he had 55 yards. Mm-hmm. He had you know, 10 or 20 yards on eight 
uh, four receptions, I think. Um, but yeah, they just scored three points on. They did have one good drive, um, but it was just it was it was hard to watch. And I love Clemson, but it was hard to watch. Yeah, it's just, it's not competitive because um, I remember when South yes. Carolina won the five in a row, and Clemson had good teams then. Yeah. They really did. But the, in those five games that Carolina won in a row, they won the turnover margin. It was fifteen to three. Yes, Clemson had fifteen turnovers. South Carolina had three turnovers, and that script was totally flipped. I mean, it's just the ascension of Clemson. And the, the slide of South Carolina, I mean, it's just bad. Then going into playoff talk, uh, in any given order, I think we would agree LSU, uh, Clemson, and Ohio, Ohio State, State are some of those three. Yeah. Going into championship weekend, are you more impressed with Utah or Oklahoma? Because to me, it's one of those two. And those, yeah. It can only be one of those two. I'm more impressed with Utah. I am too now. I just am. Yeah. Um, I think Utah is four. I, I've been saying that for a few weeks. Yeah. And I'm sure I'm not the only one that said that. I'm not a genius, but I just watch football. And they look like the number four team to me. The uh, Their loss as well, just doing the resume thing people do. Yep. They lost to Southern California early in the year, and I found out one of their best players didn't play that game. That is right. And so you know, Clemson got credited for their Syracuse loss when Kelly Bryant was out that game. That's right. I, w- I want to give Utah that same benefit of the doubt. Yep. And, and, and if you're basing the playoff committee off of Georgia, where they say this loss to South Carolina is made up for by their win against Auburn, then you can't penalize Utah for their loss to USC at the beginning of the year. You cannot. You can't. So the, uh, Southern California is a well, a much better team than South Carolina. Yeah, and then South Carolina turns around and loses, you know, to App State, and App State is a very good team, and we picked App State to win that game pretty season. Program. Yeah, but uh, it, you know, the playoff committee always has these these double standards, and I don't understand. If you say one thing about one team, then it has to roll over to the next team. It, does it just to. has to. I don't recall who Oklahoma lost to, but it was one of the bad teams in the Big Twelve. Yeah, it was bad. And so, almost, it wasn't Kansas, but it was like Kansas State maybe. Or, I think it was Kansas State, actually. And so, the, the, of the losses available, yeah. you want to have Utah's loss. Right. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, so, I think we're on the same page. Uh, if, if if all the chalk sticks and Utah beats Oregon, they need to be the number four team. Yeah, I think they will be. I, now, the last playoff committee on last Tuesday, they kind of <laughs> seemed like they didn't want Utah anywhere near it. I don't think they want the Pac-12 anywhere near it. Um, they were still pushing for the two SEC teams. But I think with Alabama's loss, that's that's kind of gone away. That's yeah. Unless unless Georgia beats LSU in the SEC championship game, I can see it. Right. Um, but I think Utah's earned it. All right. We'll uh, come back next week and talk about the conference championship games. HP, thanks for coming in and talking sports. I appreciate it. We'll be back with another new edition of the Corey Truax Show next week. Until then, everybody, peace and love.